This comes from Luke 11, verses 9 through 13. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all this morning. Um, if, you, if you don't have school-aged kids or, or don't have children, um, you might be wondering where all the, uh, the, the kids are around. And I, I believe, I, I, so I'm told, that it's winter break. Is that correct? Is it winter break? Spring break? Winter break, yeah. So um, if you think you see kids around the streets a lot, Normally, you're going to see a lot more, I think, in this coming week. Um, some of our good friends are out enjoying this beautiful, balmy winter. Um, but it's a good time. It's a good thing to be able to enjoy together. Um, some of you that maybe are more on the type A side of the scale of personality may have noticed on your, on your bulletin the, the teaching text is different. And um, I'm just going to go ahead and claim that one. That was my fault. I... Uh, don't do this all that uh, frequently, and so I, my, my preparation is a little bit all over the place. And so when I sat down and was kind of going through, I, I realized, you know, sermons have three points. Here are my three points, and I put it out and made it, and, uh, and it was just way, way too long. So good news, I cut it down to two points and, um, and just really went for the jugular of it and just cut out the teaching text at the time. And we got a new one, though, and I, but I feel, I feel really grateful for the Lord's been speaking to me in this. Um, and I don't know if you've been here in the last couple of weeks, but I really feel that there's been something significant happening in our body over these last weeks in the season of Epiphany, especially around prayer. And um, thinking about prayer this week, I realize I've, I've been praying or attempting to pray for a little over 25 years. And I was trying to think of anything else that I have tried to consistently practice in my life for that period of time. I mean, it's things like eating, maybe, wearing clothes. I mean, it's like eating, wearing clothes, putting on clothes, and praying are the, the three things I've been trying to do. I think, I think I've gotten better. I mean, maybe not at, at clothes. Maybe, yes or no? My wife maybe say no. Um, I've gotten, certainly gotten better at eating. Uh, you know, I, um, I did, you know, I still have some... Uh, some, some gummy food addictions and things, but I think I've gotten better at it overall. But what's interesting about prayer is I sometimes question, am I any better at this than I was then? How, how weird is it? If you think of the very singular things that as people of faith we are known for, reading scripture, um, fellowship together, prayer is, is always in the top two or three. And yet, I have found in my own life, and I think it's a consistent story, that prayer is sometimes really difficult to understand if we are growing in it, if we are making progress. Would we say that there's some sort of categorical way that we could say, well, I, I used to pray like this, and now I pray like this? It's not often that linear, and so we get somewhat confused 
Um, at least I have. And in these last couple of weeks, as Caleb has been teaching to us, especially in the last two weeks about intercessory prayer, and I would really encourage you, if you haven't been here or you heard those, to go back and listen to those last two weeks. It just was this reinvigoration in my mind of what prayer is meant to be by God, of what God calls us into when he calls us to pray. What does God mean when he says, I'm doing something in the world and I'm inviting you into it, and prayer is a main mechanism that we do that? I don't think along those lines day in and day out very often. And so I feel like we are in a moment in our church, in a season of our church, where God is calling us in to something deeper. And he entitled this whole series, Teach Us to Pray. Teach Us to Pray. And it is a, um, a truth that I think that prayer is not something that we're born into the world knowing how to do. And that was, a, that was a bit of a relief for me, and I hope it is for you, that prayer is a learned thing. It is something that you can be here, and you can get here with it over time. It's a combination of some consistent practice. It's an act of will at times. It's aligning, choosing to align our hearts. But as soon as we try to do it, and this has been my experience we start encountering problems, difficulties, challenges, things that sort of muddle the landscape, specifically when it comes to prayer. And this morning, I just want to briefly maybe share some, what some of those things are for me, see if they resonate, and then just two points of what I have seen the Lord do in my life that, that can address some of these things. And so there's a lot here um, that we could talk about, about why prayer is potentially a challenging thing for us to make a central part of our lives. But one of them, for sure, has to be just the mysterious nature of prayer. It is, it is clearly something that is not um, easy to understand on the surface or even in the few layers that you go down. There's no, there's no data that we can assimilate and say, here's the effectiveness of prayer when you do this, when you do this, when you do this. Here's a way that we can track and measure and understand that when we pray, if you're going to dedicate your time to prayer, here's the outcomes that, you can, that you're guaranteed to have. Now, in almost anything else in our life, whether it's in business or it's in our families or it's even other relationships, we can set up these trackable um, Marks to say, well, are we getting better at this? Are we on almost every other thing? But in prayer, sometimes there is no way to do that. There's no way to track that. There's no way to say, to say like, I see that now I've done this and this happened. Okay, it didn't happen. Maybe if I just this prayer in this way, this will happen. It almost seems that because it's so anecdotal in how we understand how prayer moves throughout the world, you just hear one story that's way over in this end of the spectrum and another story that's way over in this end of the spectrum. Well, this person did this. Well, I did that and that didn't happen. Am I doing something wrong? Um, there's a, there's a uh, commentator that, that said this. Um, his name's John Bloom. He said, we find prayer mysterious. For example, we read promises in scripture like this one. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Mark eleven twenty four. He says, then we pray, and we don't see answers to our prayers. We're left asking, what's the problem? And we conclude that either our faith is so pitifully small that God essentially ignores them, or that there must be so many inscrutable, complicating factors inhibiting, inhibiting his answers that we end up as prayer agnostics. And he's talking about Christians. And I resonate with that. 
that the danger, what he's saying here, the danger is not that our prayers are or aren't being ineffective. The, the, the problem is that when we don't see the efficacy play out, the danger is that we relegate prayer to a place of unimportance in our own minds and our own hearts. That we're looking, even if it's a subconscious thing, we're looking for this trackable evidence of, is my prayer making a difference? Am I going to, it's, it's, it's just the classic wheel of affirmation and positive affirmation. You do something, you get a good result, you do it again, you do it again. You don't see that in prayer. How many times have you been told a story of a miracle and you just want to say, well, that's great for them. I'm praying for something that's significantly less important than that and I'm not getting it. It's confusing and the danger that that happens is because we don't understand it. We just say, well, it's unimportant. At least in practice, it becomes less and less important. It's something that we tack on to our days. It's something that we tack on to our lives. It's not something that is central. The, the mystery of prayer is a problem. Um, another one that I encounter, the wide spectrum of opinion and belief or disbelief on prayer. Um, with the amount of content that we all consume, the voices on all different sides of the spectrum um, become much more apparent to us and readily accessible to us and to everyone. Um, most of my friends, uh, when I first moved to New York in 2001, weren't really listening to podcasts or reading books from people with, um, you know, a huge, very demonstrative, varying uh, experiences of prayer or thoughts on prayer. And now they are. Now they're everywhere. And I actually think that's a good thing. That as Christians, as thinking people, we're, we're also in this culture. We want to be interacting and responding and living in a world that, that is really robust in how it thinks about this life, the afterlife, God, earth, everything. We want that. I encourage that. I welcome that. But it would be wrong to think that in some level, that type of thinking doesn't permeate our own minds to some degree. Um, it's kind of all around us in a way that it maybe has never been before. And it's a real challenge. Um, I've seen this, I've seen this um, play out in, in, in sort of philosophical ways and discussions with people. Um, I've seen it play out in a really micro way where uh, have you ever been in a conversation with someone when they said, oh, well, you believe this about prayer, you believe this about prayer. Okay, well, you, you actually believe that your prayers to God, I mean, an otherwise sane-looking, normal person who eats better and dresses normal actually prays to God? You speak, really? Like, imagine having that conversation with some people in your life or coworkers or anything. It's, it is so out of bounds of what the normal, of normal discourse is. And if people really thought that we were doing this and believing this, um, if we could talk about it freely, it, it would cause rifts in our culture today in ways that it maybe never has before. And um, I've had these conversations, and I've been, I, I, I feel like in, more often than not, I don't represent what I truly believe about prayer well. Um, I had a conversation once with someone who said, you, so, so you, you talk to God. Yeah, I, I believe I talk to God. Okay. Oh, so, so you believe God exists. Yeah, I, yeah, I believe God exists. Oh, okay. Um, and you actually believe that when you talk to God, that your prayers make a difference in the world, you think you say things, you think God hears them and does something that affects change in the world. You think that. 
clearly I had I didn't know this per- this person was really in, into this. Um, I walked into a, a a difficult situation. You you actually believe that this is what it is? What he said, and I said, Yeah, I do. And he said, Well, how much do you pray? And I say, Well, I I, I pray as often as I can. I, I wish I could pray more. And he said, Well, wait, wait. You think that your prayers change things on earth, and yet you pray sometimes? By your own admission, you don't think this is true. By your own practice, you don't think this is true. How, if you actually thought this was true, wouldn't, wouldn't you be praying all the time? Wouldn't you actually be praying about everything? This, this was the other guy saying this to me, and I just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would. And I just sort of blank stared, slunk away, sort of pled, um, wow, you know, I'm, I'm going to thank you for encouraging me to pray more and um, <laughs> didn't think this is the way this conversation was going to go and I'm sorry. But, but it's around us everywhere and we need to be aware. We should welcome it. I, oh, I, I wish I had that conversation back so many days because I wish that I could have just expressed how I truly felt that in a time where I was confronted with my own lack of prayer, in response in, in, with someone else that just made me feel so small. Um, but it's around us. And, and um, another, I just, one other challenge that I've experienced in my prayer life um, is uh, the personal experience that I've had or we've all had. And I, I feel like it's important to say that for many of us in this room, talking about prayer is not a philosophical exercise. It's something that's, that's truly, truly um, personal and deep. Um, I think there have been times in my own life where I have prayed and prayed and prayed to the best of my knowledge and ability, praying the will of God over a situation and didn't see it happen. And for a while, just the idea of prayer was difficult because it, I thought, what's really, like, let's just be honest, what's the, what's the point? And I, and I think that our own experience with prayer, whatever yours is, is going to have a huge impact on how you pray, when you pray, why you pray, what you believe about prayer. It has to. Many of us, many of you in this room probably feel like, wait, there's an opportunity to pray while I'm there because you've seen things happen. And many of you likely don't and feel abandoned, feel that prayer is... <clears throat> potentially the ultimate expression of, of, of abandonment in your life. I've heard someone say those words before, and it was uh, super honest and super real and, and crushing. They'd say, when I pray, you know, how many times are you going to talk to someone who doesn't respond back and doesn't answer in a way that you need him to? I often wonder, are the stories of unanswered prayers of God not showing up in the way that we expect or are asking, are they any less important than, than the miracle stories that we hear of a prayer happening, uh, coming true, of someone being raised from the dead or somebody having a word spoken over their life that was just exactly what they needed when they needed it. That's a miracle and it happens and it is happening. But aren't the stories where God doesn't show up in the way that we expect just as important, just as important for us to look at, to, to answer, to think about, to bring before the Lord together. So how do we deal with this, address these things? Um, two, two points that have become uh, helpful to me in 
thinking about prayer, and they're, they're, they're related. My hope is that as we walk through this series together, that we can take steps. Um, we can take steps in growing in how we think about prayer as a community, as individuals. Um, J.A. Packer, who's an author who's written a lot of books, he, he said this in trying to understand a bit of the complexity when we come to God in prayer. And he says, knowing God is a matter of personal dealing. We must not lose sight of the fact that knowing God is an emotional relationship as well as an intellectual and volitional one. And it could not indeed be a deep relationship between persons if it were not so. He sets the stage saying, this is not going to be a linear exercise. Prayer was never meant to be transactional. Prayer was always meant to be relational, and that has implications for how we think and how we practice. And so two ways that I want to look at it is that we come to prayer in community, and we come to prayer as children of the Father. In community and as children of the Father. So in community... Um, this is going to make, make some people uncomfortable. This is going to make some people super excited. Um, there's no question, first of all, I want to say, um, there's no question that a, a deep, personal, private prayer life is important. It's all over the scripture. Jesus did it. The disciples did it. It happened all over the Old Testament. We, we are called to pray to God at all times. Pray without ceasing is what the Bible says. There's going to be times where you're called into um, even extended seasons of solitude and prayer and intimate communion. There are aspects of your life with God that are yours alone, yours and his. It's yours together. But this is not what the DNA of prayer is is, is, is singular prayer. The DNA of prayer has always been community. It has always been people coming together, even starting from the beginning of creation. It's been a community coming together, interacting, interfacing together, and getting a fuller picture of reality. It's part of the practice. It's something that Jesus talked about all the time. He says, when two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. We see it played out uh, even in the Old Testament. Uh, Caleb mentioned this, the story of Moses, where he's praying over the battlefield and he's seeing them uh, uh, fight the Amalekites over the field. And the rule was for Moses had to raise his arms in prayer and in in declaration over the battlefield. And he did it. And when he was doing it, they would win. And when he would get tired, they would start losing And so his friends, Aaron and her, came up and they grabbed his arms like this and they held him up. They did it. They did it together. It was a communal blessing. It was something that God had called as an expression, as a visual expression of what it means to come together when we approach God, that it happens in community. James 5 says, if any of you need healing, call the elders of the church together and pray for you. The disciples were gathered together, it says, praying in one accord in the upper room when the Holy Spirit rushed in. There is a power that comes from when we pray with other people. And I don't, still don't know how else to explain it other than you experience it in a new way. Um, how many times in my life, and maybe you have a similar experience, that 
you know, we talk, how, what's the motivation? What's the purpose? How do I pray better? And, and all that you need is just to pray with someone else. How many times did I, I didn't have the strength to pray. I didn't have the desire to pray. I didn't have the words to pray. I was crushed, defeated, abandoned. And then someone comes in and he's like, hey, let's pray about it. And no, I don't want to pray about it. No, well, okay, well, we're going to pray about it. So, you know, and, and then, it, then it's, there's social awkward. Okay, let's pray about it. But, you know, it happens and when people will come in, they will come in and pick up your arms when you can't do it. This is the point. The point is that you aren't able to fully experience God in prayer outside of the body of Christ. It wasn't designed that way. If you have been, and I want you to think, if you've been saying, I want to get better in my prayer life, and most of that, more than 50% of that is you praying alone, I think that you're, you've got to rethink your tactic. I think that the purpose of prayer happens in community so that you can see aspects of the Father you couldn't otherwise see. A very dramatic example, and this is disclaimer, probably the most dramatic example of prayer in my own life personally. Um, I was pretty young. I was about 15. Um, my first trip out of the country, I grew up in western Pennsylvania. My first time out of the country, I went on a, um, a mission trip to, to Haiti. And we were in this little town um, building a, a school. We, there's a, there was a mission there. It was an orphanage and a school. And um, I went with, with some construction workers, and there was 10 of us there. And we were there for nine days. Um, and we built, you know, a, a several different structures. And it was a, a pretty amazing experience. Um, so as we got there... Um, you know, Haiti was still in, in, entrenched in the, in the U.S. embargo. It was very, very challenged uh, socially and, and economically. Um, us coming in as Americans to this town was a pretty uh, big deal, just put it that way. It's something that didn't happen very often, especially Americans. Um, as we built this school, word started getting out. And if you've ever been to Haiti or you know much about Haiti, the culture of Haiti is... is um, a very, a very interesting mix of, of spirituality and, and, and voodoo culture and mixed in with certain Christian uh, uh, values even. Um, but as we were there and we started building, word started getting out to the local elders and the local people that, um, that these Americans were here. And it didn't sit well with the, 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 the religious powers that be in that community. Um, we noticed that by the third day, people were, were starting to come around uh, hanging out outside on the walls of the of the uh, the the, um, uh, the the whole compound there where the school and everything was where we were staying um, on the seventh night um, it happened to to, to coincide with a, a festival that that uh, was part of their their religious practice and they had called in apparently over this previous uh, the previous week um, elders and witch doctors and people from all over the country to this little town to, to basically curse us out of the country and out of this place and to curse the work that we were doing. Uh, I'm 15 years old and just like I, I hear them rumbling around. I'm like, oh, that's, I mean, there's a, that's cool. Uh, there's a wall, I guess, right? We're safe, right? And there everyone's like, um, no, and not really. There's just a wall. Uh, there's no 911 here. There's no one who's going to come and rush and help if something happens. Tensions were rising. Um, and as I said, they coalesced in this one night. Um, I remember we had a worship service. We were in the little chapel on the grounds, and we went back to our, our, uh, our rooms, our, our, our little uh, you know, bunk, bunk rooms. And we start hearing 
commotion. We start hearing drums. We start hearing people, you know, shrieking, screaming, um, building with intensity. The drums, it was a couple of drums. It was some more drums. There was over 150, I learned afterwards, drummers out there pounding this thing, calling in these curses and doing it. Just, just the drummers. Um, they had the fire, they had laid out fire walking. They had laid out all sorts of priests and witch doctors to come in and curse us. They were, they were, they were pinning the dolls, you know, that you've seen, you've seen that? They were doing that. They had, they had one, they, they literally had them, they had white ones for the, for the, just the exact number of white people that were there in the thing. They had thought through this basically and said, we're, we're going to do that. We're going to really go after it. Um, I wasn't really freaked out until I realized that like, okay, it gets, gets to be midnight and um, it's, not, it's not letting down. It's, it's growing with intensity. The camp is in is, is starting to get really tense. Um, everybody is, is, is questioning what do we do. There's, there's literally no way to leave because it, there, it was, had completely surrounded the camp. Um, there's nothing we could do but, but pray. Nothing we could do but pray. Um, I learned afterwards, so we go, we go into our our bunk rooms, the, the nine of us missionaries that were there. We got in our circle. We, we prayed. I think it was slightly more intense than normal because of what was going on, but not dramatically. It was, um, you know, I just remember laying hands and praying and just having a good little, a good kind of prayer service. Little did I know that the founders of this, of this um, uh, group that we were there visiting um, they were having their own prayer service in the chapel, which looked very different than our service. We were, we were praying quietly. We were just like, Lord, protect us. I don't know, Lord, um, you know, be with these people, protect these people. These people were in the chapel praying for God to do a miracle. They were praying that God would shake the earth was the prayer that they were praying because they knew that there was no one to call. They knew there was nothing that could save them other than something that would scare everybody away. And I remember that in the middle of the night, I felt the room start to shake. And I felt things came off the walls. Um, the, uh, the, the, the bunk beds were literally, that were nailed to the thing were literally moving and came out. Like you saw the nails, how they separated. And an earthquake happened in that zone. And it freaked everyone out. It went from chaos and drums to there was no drum. There was people screaming and people running and people going away. This is in the middle of the night. And I hear screams from the outside and I hear cheers from the other side of the people in the chapel that were praying that somehow knew this earthquake was from God. Now, I had never been in an earthquake before. I grew up in Pennsylvania. This happened in other parts of the world. I had never felt, but if you've ever been in an earthquake, you know you will never forget that feeling when all of a sudden everything you thought was stable and real becomes completely, you know, up in the air and, like, you know, there's nothing stable to hold on to. Um, I saw the aftermath of everything, buildings, homes. It was a, it was a, a pretty significant earthquake. Um, and, and the people that we had met with in the morning were just praising God. They came out, they're just, it's not great, God showed up. And I'm like, well, we, we were almost as scared about the earthquake as we were about the people out there. We, it would have been great to clue us in that this was actually the prayer that we were going for. It would have maybe made us a little bit less freaked out uh, for the past five hours. But no, that's great. You, that's what you prayed for, that was great. Um, and, and that's sort of how it ended. Now, again, I, remember, I told you I was 15 years old I come back, and I, I remember the feeling of the earthquake. But over the years, 
the questions started to rise. Okay, they, they were praying. They were praying for an earthquake. But earthquakes happen in Haiti, clearly. Um, you know, it was six years after, in 2010, a dramatic, I mean, earthquake. Haiti's known for earthquakes. So, I mean, was it because they were praying that that earthquake happened? I, I don't know. And as I got a little bit older, I even started to th- think, I mean, was it an earthquake? Or were they just, were they just excited? And I, and I remember, and they were telling us about it the next morning, and I've sort of filled in the gaps of my memory is that possible? And I started to, you, you see how even things that we see happen can begin to over time erode. Um, so I looked it up. I looked it up. And sure enough, on that day in 1994, the USGS reports a 5.4 magnitude earthquake happening in the town about an hour and a half from us, which permeated to where we were. So it did actually happen. Um, did God orchestrate that? If I hadn't seen the faces of the people that we're praying for it, I wouldn't have known. But I would tell you without a shadow of a doubt in my own conviction that it was God moving. I've often wondered why um, it's so important that we pray communally with people. Um, and I think I've boiled it down for myself that when we pray alone, when the vast majority of our prayers are alone, it fuels our individuality. It makes our spiritual experience ours alone. And that goes against everything that our spiritual experience is meant to be and what we're called into. It insulates us when all of Scripture points to walls being broken down, community, a fellowship of the saints, a body with many parts operating together. This is the way of the kingdom, and this is the way of prayer. And if it really is an emotional, relational experience, prayer, there's a very famous quote that I think is worth reading from C.S. Lewis that maybe sheds some light on why this is the case. He says this. He says, uh, when he's talking about his friends, J.R.R. Tolkien and, and his friend Charles, he says, in each of my friends there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all of his facets. And now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's or Tolkien's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. For every soul, seeing him in her own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That, says an old author, is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are crying, holy, holy, holy to one another. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. Uh, Tim Keller summed that phrase up in his book, and he says, it takes a community to know an individual. It takes a community. There are aspects of God that you will never know unless you engage him in community in prayer. You're, you're unable to do it all on your own. You're unable to see everything. Um, we sometimes get upset when we see people responding in prayer, responding to God in different ways than we would, than we're comfortable. Have you ever done that? I've, I've done that. Have you ever done that? Someone, there's like, you know, they're doing something. And it's like, is that, is that real? I mean, is that real? I don't know if that's real. But if we truly serve a relational God, 
and it requires all of us to see all the facets of who God is. Why would we expect it to be any other way? Why would we expect everyone's experience to look the same? We need one another who, they respond in joy, they respond in, in, in craziness, they, they, they say things that we would never say, and that's precisely the point. That's precisely why we need one another. The last one, before we close, is that we come, uh, we come to God as, as children of the Father. Um, this is an experience that I had uh, last month, uh, last month. Um, particularly right now, my wife and I are, are um, in a season of, of just deep prayer, big questions, career questions, relational questions uh, with, with, with family around us, and um, a, we're asking God a lot. Um, I went away on a, on a two-day sort of excursion of, of solitude to pray, and I, um, uh, I went before the Lord. I had, um, I had structured my set of questions. I, I had built grids um, and, and said, Lord, okay, I, I need answers on these things. And I'm coming to you sacrificially, my time, uh, to meet with you. And I need you to explain these things. It was a very grown-up way to pray, if I have to say. I was prepared. I was prepared. God was not going to get out of this one. Um, I, was, I wasn't going to take... Anything less than an answer to my question. Um, and so I got out there. I remember it was a Thursday night. Um, I got out there, and, um, and I opened up, and I just, just was listening to some worship music. And I put on a, um, to, to read the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus said, when, when the disciples come, and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he says, when you pray, you say this, our Father. And I, I, I genuinely like stopped at that phrase as I, as I went through. I just kept like going back. And I said, our father. And I, I have two boys. And I, and I saw their faces flash in my head. And I thought, okay, I'm a, fa- I'm a father. God is saying I'm your father. Do I believe that? Wait, wait. Okay, I know how I feel about my boys. I, I know how parents feel about parents. And, and I know that God says that he's that for us. But do I believe that? Do I really believe that I have a father, that we have a father, that when we come to prayer, we're coming to a father who loves us, who knows us, who knows your, your, your challenges, who knows what you think is weird, who isn't going to pull you into something that you don't understand or feel uncomfortable by, but he's going to speak to you because he knows you, because he loves you, because he's your father. I realized that as I came to God needing answers, I came to him as an adult, and he, he, he approached me as a child. I needed to let go of the things that I thought that I needed in the true sense of a word of coming in as a child. And it doesn't mean that we check our sense at the, at the door. It doesn't mean that we come to prayer, we just, we just throw out all of our intellect, we throw out all of our knowledge, all of our plans and hopes of what we think is right. It doesn't mean that. But what it means is that in comparison, it's a framing of our relationship to God that even take all of your intellect, take all of your experience, take everything that you know about the world, and then even in that, it's as if you're a child before God. So don't leave those things. Include them all. But God is saying, if you don't come to me as a child, then these things get in the way. Trust that I see them. Trust that I've brought you here Trust me as a father. And I think that this is especially true for anyone who's had a challenge, who is currently challenging to pray, that it, it might 
just simply be the fact that you need to stop approaching God as anything other than your father or your mother. Jesus refers to himself as a mother when he looks at Jerusalem and says, I wish I could gather you into myself and shelter you under my wings. It's the freedom of crying out in agony, crying out in sincerity. And if you feel as though you've been asking God for something, you've been asking God for bread and you feel like you're holding a serpent, what does this scripture tell you? It simply tells you that if that's what you feel, if that's what you're holding, that your story is not done. The story is not finished yet. It can't be. Because the promise is that if God, if we know how to give good gifts, then God, who is so much more infant to us, knows how to give good gifts and will. If you feel like you've been dealt unjustly by the Lord, if you feel like you're holding a snake, your story is not done. We have to allow room for, uh, for a perspective that is greater than our own, that just potentially, maybe, God is doing something that we can't see and he's doing something that we can't know because we're not God. And just maybe we need people around us to help us see that. I feel that now is the time for our church. I hope that now is the time in your life, whatever it is that you're facing, whatever place that you find yourself, wherever, however, whatever role prayer plays in your life at all, it could be nominal it could be really important, wherever that is. Now is the time that I believe our church is called to, to rise up under the real possibility of what prayer can be, what prayer can be communally, what prayer can be individually in your life, approaching God as a father. There's a passage when Paul is exhorting uh, in Corinthians where he says this. He says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And he ends this passage this way. We are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. I will be a father to you. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Prayer begins as approaching a father. The method is that we need to do it together. I would say that if you haven't prayed with someone intentionally in the past week, it's been too long. We should take that seriously. We're going to have an opportunity just to do it. And you say, well, I don't really have anything to say. I don't really know if I trust someone. What are they going to do? Like, Great, that's the point. You're going to have the ability to just see God in a new light, in a new way. And it doesn't have to be up front. It can be, in any, it can be in any, uh, with anyone. But we want to do that together. Um, I believe that if we answer this call, this could be a really, really powerful moment for our church. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we're just going to worship um, I'm going to pray, I'm going to read the, um, and invite us to the table, but as we take this time, there's no need to rush up here. Communion is not going anywhere, there's no time limit. Um, take your time, sit, take it in, respond, however you need to respond. 
And if it's praying with someone, wonderful. If it's praying to yourself or someone at your seat, wonderful. This is not a scripted moment where there's any expectations on you. Um, And as you feel ready, the table is here to respond. And let me pray for you. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are our Father. We thank you that you have selected that name for yourself, that we haven't put it on you, but you have said, I will walk with you. I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters. Lord, I I pray that for anyone in this room whose heart is broken, whose heart is broken specifically about prayer, Lord, if they have felt that you've given them a serpent and they've asked for bread, Jesus, would you encourage them in this moment? Would you let them know that you haven't left them? Would you let them know that their story isn't done? Would you let them know that there is hope? Lord, help us to walk, to grow, to step by faith. Even if there's questions, even if there's doubts, even if there's unknowns, Lord, may we step in faith, in boldness, in community, and in humility as your children into a deeper relationship with one another, with you. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.